If you haven't already, turn to Acts chapter 1. So I had this question. It's Memorial Day weekend. We're remembering the lives of people that have given themselves for our country. And I thought, well, I know somebody else who has given himself for a whole lot of people all over the world throughout generations, and that's Jesus. And so as I'm thinking of what to do on this sermon between my Better Together series and when we start up following Jesus again next Sunday, my mind is going over, well, what about this meantime? You see, we celebrate, some of us do, Lent leading up to Easter to prepare our hearts for Easter. And for pretty much all believers in Jesus and all denominations everywhere, Easter is a big deal. Because Easter, Jesus rose from the grave to prove himself God in the flesh and pay the penalty for our sins and all the other things that Easter means to us. And then 50 days later, as the Jewish calendar, but also with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, that's a big deal for some denominations of churches. But this time of 50 days between Easter and Pentecost, this meantime, we don't talk a whole lot about that. But there's one interesting thing that happened historically within these 50 days between Jesus' death and resurrection and between the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and that's the 40 days in which Jesus still walked on this earth. Now think about it. If you're Jesus and you'd been in heaven all your life, and heaven is perfect, man, and you're Jesus, you're, you're you know, God's right hand, you're the Son of God, everything's great for you in heaven, and then he sends you to be born as a baby and live inside a womb and get born and grow up and get cuts and bruises and temptations and everything else that could happen in a human life, you know, because you live one, right? And then you get to go back to heaven? Wouldn't you be in a hurry to get back there where things are nice and easy? But Jesus stuck around this place for 40 days. And you have to say to yourself, why was he sticking around for 40 days? That's the question I had, right? What's, what's so important that after um, 30-something years here living, three years in active ministry, that once he got uh, you know, ascended into heaven, he had to come back? And he had to be here for 40 more days. Jesus, was your work not done yet? And I think that's it. It's not that he couldn't get everything done in the three years of his active ministry. It's that after his death, after his resurrection, there was a change in his disciples that they now understood and knew things differently. And so he had to come back and connect all the dots for them. Everything that they didn't understand previously because they had new eyes to see that even though he had power to raise others from the dead and power to heal blind eyes and power to well, uh, you know calm the waves that when he rose from the dead himself they went whoa this guy really is God in flesh maybe the things that he told us here and here and here maybe these things mean something we don't understand so Jesus came back in 40 days' time to teach his disciples, and we have recorded just a little bit here in Acts chapter 1. And I want us to focus there because I've got five questions from Jesus after his resurrection. That Jesus, it was, is as if he's asking his disciples these questions through this passage of Scripture here. And I think the questions still apply to us today. 
That's why I'm bringing them out in a sermon for you and I to consider this morning. So if you're able to stand up with me in honor of reading God's Word, would you stand together and we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So that's Luke recounting what Jesus had done looking back. Now he's going to tell you an exchange here, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them a command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And a cloud hid him. And he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. He ascended into heaven. He's gone. No more 40 days. He's not coming back to earth until he comes back to get the church, us. Verse 10. While they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. So God, our Father, we got this question today. We got five questions and we need you to teach us. What is it that you would have us to understand from this passage of Scripture today? Speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You could be seated. Look back at verse 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus... So. This is Luke writing. So he wrote the Gospel of Luke, right? And think about the Gospel of Luke. Luke has details and Luke has interest in women and children and all those sort of things. Luke was a doctor and that was the way he thanked his personality. So he says, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Did you notice that word began? Because until this week, I think I read over it a thousand times. All the things Jesus began to do and teach. Time out, Luke. Jesus spent three years on earth. And the Bible says that if uh, we recorded everything Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't handle it. And you're saying that's just what he began to do and teach? What are you talking about? Oh. If Jesus just began to do and teach things in his three years on earth, and then he had 40 more days there, Who's doing and teaching things now? Look around. You are. And by His Holy Spirit, 
Jesus still is. Your first point on your outline, your first question, excuse me, is what is Jesus doing and teaching me today? If he just began to do and to teach in that three-year ministry and those 40 days with the disciples, what's he doing today? He's not done. He's still active by his Holy Spirit. He's still teaching us right now, this week, at this very moment. God's Holy Spirit, I pray, is speaking to you through me and through his word. What's fresh? What's current? What's now? The, the living Christ is speaking to you today. Your point there is that Jesus calls me into relationship. If Jesus is still doing and teaching things for you today, he does that through relationship. I talked about my soccer team a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to tell you about them today uh, real quick like. So we got this kid, Colt. He's this little tank of a kid, and he's got a flat top haircut, which I like, right? And he's also got like this tank attitude. The kid won't stop. He's never played soccer in his entire life before, but he just goes hard. Nobody's going to beat Colt. You might be able to do some razzle-dazzle, but he's going to catch up with you, right? Well, this week for a weekend for our game, we had both of our goalies that are normal goalies were out of town. It's Memorial Day weekend. We needed a new goalie for the game. Coach says to me, who should we put in? I said, Colt. Colt's the only guy we can trust. So we go to practice Friday night. One of the dads comes down the hill and says to me, hey, you need a little help running practice tonight? I said, yeah, man, I'd appreciate that. You know, we got 12 boys running around crazy. I said, so um, Matt, you know, the other dad's name is Matt. I said, Matt, did you play soccer? He said, yeah, I played club soccer until a few years ago. I hurt my knees. I can't play anymore. I said, really? I'm like, I've coached this guy's kid for four years, and I didn't know this. I said, so do you mind working with Colt on goalkeeper? He said, yeah, man, I played goalkeeper for like, you know, 20 years. I'm like, what? What have you been doing sitting up in your car for four years while we're down here working with these kids? You could have come down here and coached them. But thank you. Please work with Colt. You tell him anything you want him to do, and I'll have all the other boys down here. Colt was phenomenal in the game yesterday. And it was because Matt helped him out, right? There was a relationship that started there between Colt and Matt to teach some skills of goalkeeping. There's a relationship I missed between me and Matt to know that Matt had the skills of goalkeeping and he could have helped us for the last four years, right? But what relationship do you have with Jesus, God in flesh, who loves you, who's living and active, that wants to teach you and change your life today? Let's go to verse 3, because verse 3 leads us to our second question. It says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over the period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So if Jesus spoke in his 40 days primarily about the kingdom of God, that means that's something we still need to pay attention to. Your question there is, how do I understand the kingdom of God? When I was in training to be a journeyman missionary, when I spent two years in South Africa, we had some guy who I don't remember who had lots of degrees and spoke with really big words. I mean, these weren't like college words. These were not graduate school's words. These were postdoctoral words, right? And I don't remember anything the dude said except for one phrase. He said that as journeyman missionary, there were 51 of us going to like 41 different countries around the world. He said, you're going... 
to go to a world without borders to take a kingdom without end. To a world without borders to a kingdom without end. He said, think about it. When you fly in an airplane, can you tell you've just crossed from one country to the other? Well, unless there's a fence, you can't, or a wall, you can't. It's like, well, there's some dirt and there's some dirt. There's some grass and there's some grass. Unless there happens to be a river is the border, you know, and you're like, oh, that must be the such and such river. It's the border between this place and that place. Kingdom. National borders are things made by men. State lines are things made by men. But what God has made is a kingdom that goes to all people of all times and all places. It's his kingdom. It is eternal. And he's called us to be a part of it. And we are to be his missionaries and emissaries therein. Your second point there is that Jesus invites me into his service. That Jesus invites me unto his service. He calls us to be part of his service in the kingdom of God. That if all he wanted us to do was get saved, the moment you got saved, you'd go up to heaven. But he leaves us here because he's got work for us to do. He leaves us here because he wants us to invest in others and lead them to his kingdom. Let's read verses 4 and 5 as we move ahead. So on one occasion, he's eating with them. And notice what he says there. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now, wait a second. Isn't it the end of Matthew, like right before he goes up to heaven? He says to them, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, yeah, that's in the Bible, Pastor Aaron. So where in the world does Jesus get off switching gears here? He just said go, and now he's saying wait? Are, are you schizophrenic, Jesus? Did you forget what you're supposed to tell us? But, but, but look, church, look, church, look at your Bible. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. They didn't understand the Holy Spirit before. You read all about it in John 13 and 16 and some in between. He says, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were to go on mission to extend the kingdom of God, but they couldn't do it as God intended without the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. So even though they were to go eventually, they needed to wait right now. They needed to wait. So our question, your third question on your outline, is what does the Holy Spirit do for me? What does the Holy Spirit do for you? As you apply this teaching to your life, what does the Holy Spirit do for you? Well, I hope you can say he convicts me of sin. He helps me understand things. He guides me. He leads me. He teaches me. You look back in Scripture, particularly, like I said, John 13, John 14, John 16, about what the Holy Spirit does for you. Your point there is that Jesus offers me the ability to serve. That by the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives you the ability to do the things God's called you to do. That on your own, you can do some things, but you can't do everything God intends and the way God intends it without the Holy Spirit. With your own ingenuity, with your own hard work, with other people to help you, you can do amazing things. But it's with God's Holy Spirit that you can do more than anything you would ever ask or imagine. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us and equips us and guides us and gives to us more than we imagine. 
Your scripture memory verse is at the top of your outline, but let's say it together right now. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. I put that scripture here in our outline for that last part. That we're to use the gifts we've received. All of us have natural talents and abilities. And then when you get saved, you get given spiritual gifts. And you used to use those that come to you by the Holy Spirit to serve others. It's not your gift. You're a steward of it. And it's not by your power, but by God's grace. And it comes in various forms. And when we fit them all together, we see that we are better together. Amen. Let's look at verse 6, 7, and 8. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the time. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You've heard me preach about this. You've heard other preachers. Acts 1.8. We talk about being Acts 1.8 church. Their mission was to extend the kingdom of God through all nations and all peoples. Which raises the question for us that Jesus would ask, what mission am I pursuing? If God has given you the Holy Spirit in order to empower you to serve him, to extend his kingdom, are you extending his kingdom? Are you using your gifts, your talents and abilities, your passion, your heart? Are you using who you are to pursue his mission. Your point there is that Jesus gives me the power to serve. He gives me the power to serve him as he calls me to serve him. And sometimes when we think things aren't working right, that's uh, maybe because we're doing it our way. Sometimes when we feel like we don't have the energy or the ability, maybe it's because we're trying to fulfill our mission and purpose not God's mission or purpose. That God calls us to serve Him. And God equips us to serve Him. And God empowers us to serve Him by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 9, 10, and 11. Right after that, Jesus was taken up in the cloud before their eyes. And they were doing what any of us would be doing, right? Right? If you're standing there talking to somebody and he goes shoom, up in the clouds, aren't you going to be like, dude, where did he go? Do you see a contrail anywhere? I mean, is he, uh, 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 you know, I mean, we're going to be looking up, right? And so then these two guys in white, it says, angels presumptively, come say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in the sky? The same Jesus who's taken into heaven in the same way you'll see him come back. Your question there is why am I busy looking up to heaven? There's some of us that, as a friend of mine said, are so heavenly-minded we're no earthly good. When we lived in Texas, our next-door neighbor, Papa Charlie, a septuagenarian who could fix anything and had a heart as good as gold, lived next door to us, and he also had a chicken pen and all kinds of things, and he'd give you vegetables and, you know... Um, 
we had to deal with him. Melanie would make him cakes and he would give us fresh eggs. I mean, it was a good deal, right? Worked out for us, worked out for him. But Charlie, man, nobody could play a harmonica like he could. And he had a little gospel bluegrass kind of, you know, band that he went around and played. And they went to all these gospel singings. It's not a singing, it's a singing, right? They're in Texas and they go to singings. And they were going to a gospel singing every night of the week. And I remember their pastor lamenting me to me one time. He said, man, you know, we got a good band at our church. But they're always going to these gospel singings and they're always talking about or singing about heaven But they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. He said, I can't get them to do anything to serve our church other than gospel singings. They were too busy looking to heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking forward to heaven. But if you're so busy thinking about heaven and singing about heaven that you can't do anything to serve God, to extend his kingdom so that other people might go to heaven with you, you got a problem. Remember, I asked you in last week's sermon, who's going to heaven because of you? Who have you influenced to be there with you? Are we so busy looking up in heaven we can't do anything? Because your last point on your outline, Jesus asks me to make disciples. At Southview, we say that we are growing Christ followers. Remember, that's who we are. We're growing as individuals. But it's what we do that we're seeking to grow others as Christ followers. And Christ followers is our phrase for disciple. It's a student, a learner, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. Are you spending your life to make disciples? You know, I'd love to say that that 40 days that Jesus spent where he was connecting the dots for the disciples, that everything he said was available on podcasts and I could tell you where to go listen to it. It's not. We only have the little things that are recorded in Scripture to tell us. But so much more than that, what the Holy Spirit has communicated to you and what you can see in the rest of God's Word is that Jesus has called you unto himself to send you out that you might call others unto him as well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that always teaches us. We thank you for this familiar passage of scripture that we look at in a slightly different way to ask, what does Jesus have to teach us today? So Father, we see... You've given us the Holy Spirit. And you've given us a mission to fulfill with the Holy Spirit within us. And that is to make disciples and to extend your kingdom through all people all around the earth. Even our next door neighbors and our family members. So Father, we pray now that you would challenge us. That we'd surrender what we need to surrender. We'd confess what we need to confess. If there's anyone here that needs to join our church family, they'd do that today. And certainly, if there's anyone here that has understood their own personal sinfulness that needs to ask Jesus to be their Savior and Lord, that they do that today. Whatever it is, Father, may may we obey as we uh, stand and sing these invitational songs. In Jesus' name, amen.